Okay, um, the first couple segments, the first hour we spent just looking at why should we care about relationships and why should we care about being wise uh, in the way that we, we manage them and then a little bit about the physiological content of emotions and the way that emotions uh, tend to get expressed, uh, especially where they overtake us uh, and they begin to drive or dictate our words and our behavior and the kinds of problems that that can cause uh, in our relationships. Now with this next section, this is the final section for tonight, we're going to begin to get into some of the nuts and bolts about how to think about building good relationships. I'm going to show you a little paradigm that we use. Uh, that's just a model to think about this and walk you through it because it'll form the basis for what we'll talk about tomorrow. And I also hope it forms the basis for a way to think about developing skills and habits of mind in terms of how we deal with our emotional life in all of its, uh, all of its manifestations. We're going to start by um, taking a look at a video that uh, quickly summarizes, uh, at least in an encapsulated form, uh, some of the typical relational dynamics uh, in conflicts between couples. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop were... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. Thanks. Thank you. Ow! Come on, if you would just... Don't! Try to see things my way Do I have to keep on talking till I can go Okay, now I'm sure that doesn't define any of the relationships that we have with our significant others, but we can laugh when we watch other people deal with uh, those kinds of things. Okay, so we're on page nine of your workbook. And I want to take you through this model or this paradigm that was talking about what we've done is we've just created this, this circular pie here with six segments, and we've divided it up this way. Two of those segments are going to be devoted to our relationship with God, and I'll explain why two in a second. Two with self and two with others. And remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. This is just 
a model way, a drawing way of capturing that, the three significant relationships that, that with which we're involved as we live, with God, with ourselves, and with others. Typically, two dynamics that we're going to focus on. One is an awareness, which basically means, what do I know? So, God aware, what do I know about God? What do I know about his character? What do I know about his expectations for me? What do I know about what his word tells me? And the same thing with self and with others. Engaging, what will I do? What do I know? And what, if anything, does that drive me to do? So with God, what do I know about him? And if that's what I know, what do I do with it? Okay, do I ignore it? Do I implement it in my life? With myself, what do I know about who I am? Where my strengths and weaknesses are? Okay, and what do I do about that? Okay, if I have weakness in a particular area, am I working on overcoming that? Okay, or am I just allowing myself to continue along whatever line I've been on? With other people, engaging and being aware of them. We have lots of verbal and nonverbal clues that we pick up. We have a history with many people. We know a lot about them. We're aware of them. So how does that cause us to engage with them? What do we do as a result of that awareness? How do we treat them? Are we kind to them? Do we respect them? Or do we treat them in a different way? Whatever it might be. So these three key segments, God, self, and others, we're going to examine it in these two relational aspects. What do I know? That's just going to be awareness. And what do I do with it? How do I engage God or myself or others based on what I know? I just want to stop and make sure that I've explained this adequately because this is sort of foundational or fundamental to how we're going to think the rest of this evening and also tomorrow. Any, any questions? So you all get that. At least you understand the definitions, even if you don't understand why I've done it this way. Okay, this is a simple way of diagramming and thinking about relationships, and this constitutes the construct that we'll be working in within this whole notion of being wise about our relationships, about relational wisdom. One of the things to keep in mind is that Outside values guide our relationships, and this is always true. If it's not God and God's word that's driving the way we think about a supreme being or ourselves or other people, it's going to be something else. We all have values, even if we're not Christian, that we hold very closely. Okay? These tie into our worldview, our core beliefs that drive us in the way we think. And a lot of non-Christian friends that you will have Behind their actions, behind their words, there's probably a set of values. It says, this is important, and therefore, I'm going to be acting this way. Okay? The values are a clue to everything else that goes on. And as Christians, what we want to be doing is putting God in the place of those values. But if you're dealing with people, working with people who aren't Christians, this is a way to begin to sort of bring them into this mindset. You don't have to baptize them in order to be able to talk about developing relational awareness. Tie into their values. Find out what's important to them. What are the core beliefs and concerns that you have that drive you okay, as you live your life? And that can begin to provide a way to talk about this. But for us as Christians, being God-aware and God-engaging is 
where we're going to be camping out because scripture just says so much. This one passage from Ephesians 4, let me just read it through. Then I'm going to go through it a little bit more closely. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, for tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Probably a passage that most of us are familiar with, and there are lots and lots of passages in the Bible like this. Now notice, though, that all three relationships are present there. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's primarily focusing Godward. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That's an engagement. What am I going to do? I'm going to do something negative. I'm not going to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Or put positively, I'm going to honor the Holy Spirit of God. The next, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Who is that speaking to? Self, that's me, right? Okay, that again is an engagement. That's what I am to do. So being aware of this passage and of God's expectation, I need to be living this out, right? This is the engagement piece. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Who's that pointing to? The others, okay? And it's following through because this is who God is and this is how he is directing my life. Therefore, I'm to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And we come back to the beginning as God in Christ forgave you. So it's God, self, others, God. And if you look through scripture, you'll see lots of passages that have at least one of these elements in them, often two, sometimes three, all three can be found in a single passage. And so this is how scripture can begin to inform how we think about building our relationships. Now there's a lot of advice in there, isn't there? Okay. If we're taking a passage like this seriously, there's a lot for us to be doing, a lot for us to be engaging with. And this is just, what, two verses, three verses. Okay, and the Bible has hundreds, thousands of verses like this. The gospel really does provide the motive, pattern, and power for relational wisdom. Um, there is no other way to find the motivation than a true understanding of what the gospel is, what Jesus has done for us. When we recognize his sacrifice on our behalf, and it's not something that we've earned, it's not something that we can claim as a right, okay? It's done for us, it's a gift. We didn't do anything to merit it. It was simply God reaching out and wanting to reclaim us and doing this through sending his son, okay, who ultimately, as we know, died on the cross and was raised. And because of that and our faith in him, we have life and life eternal, life everlasting. What I find in myself and what I find in people that I work with is the more they understand that, the more they are motivated to relate well to other people. The more that I understand, it's not that because I'm such a great guy that God chose me, okay, and has rescued me. Quite the opposite, okay. I'm sinful. I'm apart from God, apart from his grace. I deserve condemnation and death. 
but he hasn't given me that. How much more, therefore, should I, in gratitude for that, be reaching out to other people? How much more should I be thankful to him? How much more in my own life should I be taking this on board? So the gospel is key. And if you're like me, and you find yourself in a relational bind, you're not sure where to get help, this is a great place to start. Okay. Lord, show me how your gospel is fresh and new, and what is that telling me about the direction which I, always, which I can go? And you've got three ways to think about it. What am I not paying attention to as far as God's concerned? What about the other person am I not doing in a godly way? And what about myself? What's happening with me internally? Are my emotions, like my anxiety over money, is that driving the content of my conversation with my wife? Or is it the love I'm to have for my wife and the vow I made to the Lord when we got married? I'm ashamed to say too often it's something else. But God can pull us back. We're not sunk having to live like that. There's a great movie and a book by Victor Hugo called Les Miserables. Um, some of you have read the book. Uh, some of you have seen this movie. It's the one that stars Liam Neeson with, uh, in the role of Jean Valjean. We're going to watch a clip. Now, this clip picks up uh, at a point where Jean Valjean, if you know the story, has been just released from 20 years in a French prison in the, uh, I can't remember if it's the 17, late 1700s or early 1800s. French prisons weren't very pleasant places in those days. And when you came out of prison, basically you were sunk. There was nothing you were going to be able to do to possibly get your life back. You were a criminal. You would always be branded a criminal. He's on his way to the town that he's been assigned to live in for parole. And as he's going through a village on the way there, he's looking for a place to stay and some food because he's got nothing. The only person that will take him in is the bishop. So the bishop takes him in and his housekeeper feeds him. Uh, he eats voraciously. And then during the night, he repays the kindness and grace of the bishop by doing what we're going to see in this clip. And we'll see how the bishop responds. Is anybody there? I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes? Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. 
They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry! Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. Don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. An act of pure grace, not getting what he deserved. In fact, quite the opposite, getting something that he didn't deserve. I'd like to spend just a couple minutes. Now, this can be a full table discussion. We've got some questions here. I'd like to get you involved in thinking a little bit more deeply about these things. So the first question is, how did the gospel inspire and guide the bishop? Okay, what evidence of the gospel did you see in his behavior? Question one. Question two, how did the bishop demonstrate that he was aware and engaging with God, that he was aware and engaging with his self, with his own inner life, and that he was aware of others and engaging them? Okay, we're going to take about five minutes to go through this. I'd like you to discuss them at the tables. Go through the first one, how did the gospel inspire and guide the bishop, and then get as far as you can in the second. Okay, let's take a look at that first question. How'd the gospel inspire and guide the bishop? And remember, I'm not looking for right answers here. Okay, there's not a test. Okay, what do you think? What evidence of that do you see? He was forgiving. Mm -hmm. And he really practiced it, didn't he? In the way that he rescued Jean Valjean from that situation. Yeah, you get the sense that this guy really knows the Lord. You know, he just, he just really, I like the way you phrase that, the shape of God's love for him has shaped the way he responds to others. He's very aware of that. Yeah, thank you. Good, what else? Absolute power to give him vengeance, what he deserved, right? And instead, he gives him mercy. Okay, he sets him free. And as you know from the story, Jean Valjean does change his life around. Great. How about, um, how do you see evidence? We've talk, just talked about this a little bit. Bishop being God-aware, God-engaging. Anyone want to add anything to that? Any other evidence of his awareness and engagement of God? How about self-aware and engaging? Self-aware, self-engaging. Totally self-sacrifice. Self. 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 Self
Yeah, we see the evidence, the, the engagement in the way that he set aside having been hit, set aside having been robbed. Do you think he struggled with that at all? Was he happy about being hit and about being robbed? Probably not. Yeah. You wonder what he had to wrestle through overnight. You know, if they had come within 15 minutes, it might have been a very different outcome. But God worked in him, certainly, as we see in the story overnight. Anything else on self-aware, self-engaging with the bishop? All of what he said to the woman was practicing what he wanted to actually feel emotionally, and that was in place then when they showed up with Jean Valjean. And so he had actually almost had kind of a trial run, okay, an off-Broadway <laughs> chance to work it out and, you know, genuinely be able to say what he said. How about other aware, other engaging, either with Jean Valjean or the gendarmes? Okay, wanting, wanting to demonstrate before these uh, police okay, that Jean Valjean ought to be thought of differently. He's not just a criminal, you know, he's not the scum of the earth, he's a brother, okay, and I'm in the process here of redeeming him. Great, other comments? Why do you think he asked Madame Gillot to get them some wine? Okay, so to have an opportunity to go one-on-one -on -one with Jean and explain what it was that he was doing. Good. I wonder, as I see this clip as well, whether he's kind of trying to get him out of there before they start thinking too much about the likelihood <laughs> that this story is true. <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost like they want to be taken in by this bishop, who I have the feeling is probably highly respected in his community. Okay, good comments. Thank you very much want to spend a little bit of time now actually beginning to, whoops, helps if I turn it on, help uh, to actually begin to talk about some of the mechanics. First of all, relational wisdom can start anywhere on the circle. Uh, whatever it is that occurs to us first is a good place to begin. Whether our focus is on the other person or on God or on self, the point is that we don't want it to stay there. Okay, focusing on the other person ought to drive us to begin not only to say, ask ourselves, what does God say about this? But what's my response like? What is driving my response in these circumstances toward the other person? And is that a godly motivation that's taken root in my heart? So, six still skills that can become habits. These definitions are in your workbooks. 
They would be on page 10. We're just going to give it a little bit more technical uh, background here. So God awareness, which we can substitute a good biblical word, remember. Remembering God, who he is, is the ability to view all of life in light of God's character, works, and promises. Being aware of God in a very broad, practical sense. God engagement, another word for that's being faithful. It's the ability to trust, imitate, and obey God in a way that pleases and honors him. Okay. These actually, we want you to start thinking of these actually as being skills. Okay. If you're weak in an area, this is an area that we can improve in. Okay. We can remember God more regularly. We can go to his word. Or we can be faithful. We can live out what his word tells us to do. Okay. This is something that we can actually begin to think of in a more disciplined way. Self-awareness, which we can consider humility, is the ability to honestly discern emotions, interests, strengths, and weaknesses. Boy, do I find this hard to do. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really good at justifying myself and of thinking highly of my own motives and trying to find a good excuse for everything I think, say, or do. So this is one, this is an area that I really struggle with. It's an area I work on honestly discerning what my emotions and interests and strengths and weaknesses are. And if you're, in, you're part of small groups, cell groups, or if you have accountability partners, this is a really good place as well to be focused. Self-engagement, discipline, ability to manage thoughts, emotions, words, and actions so they advance God's purposes. Okay? Other awareness, compassion. Empathy could go in here as well. The ability to understand and empathize with experience, emotions, and interests of others. Finally, other engagement, service, serving others. The ability to encourage, cooperate, resolve differences with others in a mutually beneficial way. Okay, just some brief definitions, give you a handle on what all is involved in this. And we can actually then develop a composite definition of all of these. So relational wisdom is your, our, ability to discern emotions, interests, motives, and abilities in ourselves and in others, interpret them in light of God's word, and use these insights to manage your responses and relationships constructively. Okay. And if that's too many words, and if it's too technical, just remember... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and neighbor as yourself. All we're doing is trying to find ways to expand upon that and help us begin to turn that concept of love into something that's actionable, that we can actually do, okay, that has a series of actions and motives behind it, okay, that will help us to live in a more godly way. Now, we talked a little bit earlier about emotional intelligence. How many of you have read books on EI? Anybody? Okay, there's some really good stuff out there that is being developed in emotional intelligence field, and I commend it to you. A lot of it is very insightful. Um, you know, as Christians, we understand common grace abounds. All truth is God's truth, and there's a lot that psychologists and others who are working in this area have been able to discern that's very helpful for us to be aware of. Okay, basically EI breaks down into two rather than three components. One is they call personal competence, and that has two aspects to it, the self-awareness, self-management, so that's equivalent to awareness and engagement. And then the social competence, that is how we enact, interact with others. So social awareness of what's going on in my relationship with others and then managing that relationship. So EI 
has a lot of good stuff in it, but remember, it doesn't have an underlying spiritual, nor much less Christian foundation to it. And a lot of what I've read about, it's mostly so that I will have a higher quality life. Okay, I'll do better in my workplace. I won't have as much conflict with people. I'll feel better about myself. From what I can tell, it's good stuff, but it's mostly driven toward me and how it benefits me. And as Christians, we know there's so much more to life than that. We begin by honoring and thanking God for all he's done. And as a result of that, we are going to be blessed, not just when we focus on ourselves, but when we do what? When we engage others, when we serve others, and especially people that are hard to get along with. Right? If your enemy is hungry, what do you do? Feed him, right? If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, okay? Because even, even the ungodly are kind to people who do good things to them. And this is what sets us apart as Christians, that we're motivated by something much higher and much more lasting than simply what I perceive my self-interest is happening to be. Yeah. So six ranges of proficiency. We're talking about this. What we've done here on the inside of the circle, you won't be able to read that very well, but it should be, you should be able to see it clearly in your, um, in your workbook on page 11, is we've actually listed substitute words because you won't find God-aware, God-engaged, self-aware, self-engaged, other-aware, other-engaged in, in the scripture. You just won't. But you'll find words like remember, remember God. You'll find words like humble. You'll find words like compassion and discipline. Okay, so we wanted to put those in there just to provide a little bit more of a scriptural anchor for all of this. Then on the outside, what we've done is to try to identify what would be the opposite of each of those words. If I'm remembering God, the opposite of that is what? It's to forget God, okay? Not remember who he is, what he said, what he's done, okay? If I am fickle, I'm the opposite of faithful. Okay? If I am proud, I'm the opposite of humble. And what we'll find as we go through life, if we examine our lives, we'll see that we are constantly moving inside and outside the circle. No one except Jesus has lived fully within that circle, okay? And the point is, not to despair, the point is when I'm not remembering God, when I'm forgetting and I realize that, it's a reminder to move back in the circle, to actively begin to become aware of God in a way that I haven't been. So, RW is a relational operating system. That's how we try to encourage folks to think about it. Just like your computer has an operating system, we have an operating system. It can be broken down into these six different slices, and there are ways to begin to build these strengths of character up by actually focusing on and beginning to work on these areas. Okay, we're going to look at one more video and then have just a couple of comments on it, and then we'll be done for tonight. So let me set this video up. It's from a movie called Spanglish. Um, it's about a woman named Flor and her daughter Christina who come to the United States, if you haven't seen it. Uh, Flor gets a job 
in the home as a house, housekeeper of some fairly wealthy people. And the family loves Christina, Flora's daughter, and they essentially take her in and make her part of her family, including not only buying her clothes, but getting her a scholarship to a very prestigious school. And what happens over time is that Flora and the man in this household become attracted to each other, and they start actually moving toward each other, toward more intimacy in their relationship. But to their great credit, and Hollywood's credit, because you don't often see this, they recognize that there's something more at stake, the well-being of their families. And so, in part, breaking it off, Flora decides that she needs to quit her job. Flora is also concerned that Christina is becoming more American and less reflective of her native culture. And that's a concern to her. And so she withdraws Christina from that school. She's not going to go there anymore. And in this scene, they're walking toward the bus stop. Flora has now left the job. They're on their way home. <coughs> and she tells Christina that you're not going to go to that school anymore. Okay. The voice you hear, by the way, is the voice of Christina as an older young woman who's now applying for college scholarships. And what this movie is about is it's actually what she has written on her application about who the most important influence is in her life. Okay, so that narrator's voice is Christina at an older age. Let's watch. Can I sleep with the class keys when I stay late at school? Shortly after we left, my mother told me of another decision she had reached. I would no longer go to the private school. Lo siento mucho. No! 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 You can't do that to me! You can't do that to me! No, you can't do that to me! Christina, you, you ruined everything! You ruined everything! This ruins my life! You ruined everything! I will never be bien. The 1.3 miles from the Klasky house to our bus stop was the longest walk I'll ever know. I had publicly scorned my mother. And yet she had not reacted. What did spark our climactic moment was my use of a common American phrase. Not right now. I need some space. Not a space between us. In the midst of confrontation, she found clarity. Claro. Ahora entiendo lo que está pasando. She expressed regret that she had to ask me to deal with the basic question of my life at such a young age. And then she asked it. Is what you want for yourself? To become someone very different 
del diferente de mí. Than me. I've been overwhelmed by your encouragement to apply to your university and your list of scholarships available to me. Though, as I hope this essay shows, your acceptance, while it would thrill me, will not define me. My identity rests firmly and happily on one fact. I am my mother's daughter. Anybody see any emotional hijacking in there? <laughs> by, by the way, um, in, as we grow up, the limbic part of our brain, the emotional part of our brain matures much more rapidly than the prefrontal frontal cortex. In fact, I understand that it can be into our mid-20s before uh, the rational, logical part of our brain actually is fully engaged, fully developed. And so typically, the younger we are, the more emotionally driven uh, we will be in circumstances. And we sure saw that with Christina, didn't we? Well, we're nearing the end of our time. And rather than spend time actually discussing this, uh, I'm going to let you go and just ask if you would consider these questions overnight. Okay, what emotions did you observe both in Flora and in Christina? How did Flora, the mom, demonstrate relational wisdom? What is it that she did that actually resulted in building relationship with her daughter rather than tearing it apart? And then finally, what impact did her ha actions have on Christina? And we get a pretty good clue of that from the tone of the essay that she's writing and how she, her identity now is not any longer in what she has or um, what school she goes to, but rather her identity is being her mom's daughter, how much better if her identity were in Christ and that were the source of her sense of who she is. Okay, we're going to knock off for tonight and pick up again at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Thank you so much. You've just been really attentive, had a lot of great comments. I appreciate it. We'll start off tomorrow morning with a little space for some questions and also we may have a few people who are new who weren't here this evening and so I'll just do a quick review, bring us up to date.